From the woods to the water, from the bucks to the ducks, your weekday foray out of the office begins now on WNSP Outdoors, live on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Stay tuned as Alan White and Doug Max talk with fishing and hunting pros, share tips and tricks, and discuss Alabama's greatest natural resource, the great outdoors. WNSP Outdoors is brought to you by Eastern Shore Ace Hardware, Streets Seafood and Meat Market, 157 Outfitters, Hall Sausage and Wholesale Meats, and Blue Water Yacht Sales. Now, let's head outdoors with Alan White. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. We sure do appreciate you listening. I'm Alan White along with Doug Max, and we've got a great show lined up. All your fishing forecasts are in order here. Uh, we're going to hear from Captain Wayne Miller in just a moment. First of all, Doug, I guess the big news is we had a little bit of relief from the hot weather, and you actually got to go fishing, didn't I, it? I did. I got out yesterday morning, and man, that daylight boat ride was nice. <laughs> And uh, and the fish were biting. I don't know if they knew it cooled off a little bit, but the fish were biting, and I was catching them. And then all of a sudden, my trolling motor crapped out. But oh man! <laughs> hey, I, I kind of figure if you got a boat and little issues don't come up, well, it just wouldn't be right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It wouldn't be normal, that's for sure. So. Yeah, it sure wouldn't. Well, I, I'm glad to hear you went and you did catch some fish. So uh, maybe you know, I know this little cool spell or change in the weather will not last long but it is an indication that fall is right around the corner and we will start getting some cooler mornings and that's evenings. right that's right and our hunting seasons are just a few weeks away just right. two or three weeks we're going to be hunting some different things so that's right dove season's coming that's up. right we've got austin delano coming on today our uh, wildlife management specialist and uh, we've got a special guest uh, on the last segment, too, so y'all stick around for that. Captain Wayne Miller is with us right now with a Mobile Tensaw Delta report. Captain Wayne, uh, you went this morning. How was it, man? Well, hey, guys, it's great to talk to you. Uh, man, uh, you know, I, I can kind of concur with Doug on uh, what he saw yesterday. We had a uh, I went yesterday morning, and yes, it did feel good. <laughs> it was nice to get a little break, you know, in that heat. But um, uh, the fish bit pretty good yesterday, and they've been biting this week. I mean, it's primarily been a better bite on the bass in the afternoons with the outgoing tide. Mm -hmm. But now yesterday morning, they bit really good for the first two, three hours. And then, you know, it started to slow a little bit. But, um, uh, you know, the... The last couple of days, this cooler weather, um, you know, I mean, it's really felt good in the morning. But believe me, by about 9.30, uh, you realize it's still August. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, from the standpoint of the Delta right now, we're in great shape because uh, if you look at the, the Mobile River, the reading on it at Berry Steam Plant is about three feet. It's steady. Uh, the only fluctuations you're seeing there is just with the tide. And, um, you know, the Tom Bigby's down. Uh, the Alabama up at Claiborne, I think, is up around 15 feet. But, um, you know, you see you see jumps and uh, drops on it a lot more than you do, you know, this down here. So, um, but, you know, our, our conditions are, are really good right now. Uh, and, and as it usually is in the summertime, the bite is typically better when you have water moving. And, um 
you know, the good news is we've had a pretty good tide this week. Uh, now, the bad news is going into the weekend, Saturday and Sunday is pretty much nipping. So, um, you know, but, uh, you know, starting up about the middle of next week, we pick up a really good, strong tide, and uh, that goes through uh, actually the end of the month. I mean, uh, I think right around the end of the month, the 30th, I think, is uh, is our next full moon. So um, between now and then, you know, we'll have some really good, strong tides. Wayne, are you using plastics now in a slow uh, presentation? Yeah, you know, uh, what I've done the last last few days, Alan, I've actually had some pretty good luck, you know, with top water first thing in the morning. And I've been targeting some of the uh, bigger creeks that have grass, uh, now, whenever I transition out uh, during the heat of the day out to the main rivers, uh, I've primarily been targeting wood cover with a Texas rig. And, you know, I've been throwing, uh, you know, ultraviolet speed crawl worm, um, you know, and just, you know, several other different worms. But, um, but yeah, definitely I've been dragging a lot of plastic and catching a lot of fish with that. Uh, you know, and even out in the main rivers, I don't know if you looked at it yesterday or not, Doug, but, uh, you know, our main rivers are still in the upper 80s to low 90s in water temperature, so that water is really hot. Yeah, it is. I, I kind of concur with the, what you were saying is a whole lot typical of what happened with me yesterday. Uh, I started off early with a fluke-type bait. And for the first hour or so, they, they were biting it pretty good, and then they just stopped, and I went to a plastic worm, you know, and started catching fish then. And then I remember about 8 o'clock or so, I decided to pull my fluke back out. And I don't know, I made 15 to 20 throws, and they didn't even look at it. So <laughs> I set yeah. it down and picked up the worm and immediately started catching fish again. So uh, yeah. I guess they just retreated to the bottom after about the first hour, you know. Yeah, well, with this water temperature like it is right now, as hot as it is, now I've been trying, you know, some different techniques with deep diving crankbaits and slow rolling spinnerbaits, uh, but it just seems like the the power fishing right now has just not been that productive. Uh, you just have a lot. Uh, I've had a lot more success, you know, with um, especially Texas rig plastic. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me right now, that's my go-to technique once I get past that topwater bite in the morning. Yeah, I, and I'm going to guess, like you said, water temperature is going to dictate all of that. Uh, when it, yeah. When it's yeah. like bath water, it, it's the same as when it's 50 <laughs> degrees in the winter. The fish slow down, and you better slow down with it, you know. Yeah, it's pretty amazing if you get, if you hadn't been out in a while, uh, when you go out, if you just take your hand, stick it down in the water, it absolutely it will shock you how hot this water is. So, but, you know, it. I think it stresses us a lot more than it does the fish. They know how to pull back, and, uh, you know, they just, they, uh, now one thing to really keep in mind, though, I, I do uh believe just strictly from observation what I see fishing as much as I spend time on the water but uh, with this higher water temperature it does make the fish a lot more uh, uh, active during those periods of tidal movement so uh, so anytime you're looking at, at uh, planning a trip this time of year uh, really 
you know, get that tide chart, and uh, you better pay attention to it because it can it can mean the difference between having a a pretty good day and just going out there and burning up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, kind of important down here where we live to watch the tides and. Uh, on the lakes, you know, they do basically the same thing and watch the dams uh, pulling water. And, you know, if they're, if they're moving water yeah. through the dams, then the fish bite better. And so moving oh, water yeah. loosens everything up, I think, and just uh, from the plant. But, you know, the up. good thing about what we've got down here, even though you hear a lot of people, you know, complain about the Delta, but one thing I love about this versus the scenario you described with inland reservoirs where you've got uh, water, uh, you know, power generation right. using the water. Um, uh, you've got humans that are in charge of that, and, uh, you know, they may have generation schedules, but that doesn't mean they got to stay with them. But, uh, man, we can look at these tide charts, and we can pretty much tell you what's going to be taking place. That's yeah, right. It's predictable, that's sure. <laughs> That's about the only thing about fishing that is predictable, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> That's right, Doug. All right. Well, I appreciate the, the uh, report, Captain Wayne. And tell us how to get in touch with you if we want to book a bass fishing trip on the Mobile Delta with you as our guide. Uh, uh, you can reach me at 251-455-7404. All right. Sounds good. And, uh I've been fishing with him. I know that you're going to have a good time when you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Thank if you, you, Wayne. If you keep your ears open, you're going to learn a lot. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Y'all have a great one. Be safe. Yes, Thank sir. you. Thank you. <clears throat> well, let's give away something, Doug. We got a, a couple of minutes before the break. Uh, we want to give away a ribeye steak from mm. Street Seafood and Meat Market up in Baymanette, Alabama. Uh, the meat market is located right next door to the restaurant, Streets Restaurant. And we'll take the third caller at 694-1055, 694-1055 for a ribeye steak. Uh, you know, Wayne was, was talking about, you know, and you and Wayne both talking about that water movement. And, you know, I don't care where you fish, moving water turns fish on. And it, it can be driven by the wind. It can... Mm -hmm. You know, river current, mm -hmm. tides, you know, whatever it is, yep. moving water makes fish want to feed. Yeah. And it loosens the uh, plankton. And it then does. It, then the, the minnows <laughs> go after the plankton. That's and then right. The bigger fish go after the minnows, and it's just a chain reaction. It is. It is that. You know? and, uh, yeah. So, and that's why, you know, just like your father used to tell you, find where all the leaves are. Bank, banked up against the bank. That's yep. where all the all the wind has blowed them up in there. That's, that's right. where you're going to catch fish because that's where the plankton is and the minnows. Exactly. The exactly. Yeah. All right. We'll take a short break. We're going to be back with Captain Bobby Abrascado right after this.
This is WNSP Outdoors, live on 105.5 FM and on the sound of Mobile App. Now, let's head back outdoors with Alan White. Welcome back to the show, and thanks for listening. I'm Alan White, along with Doug Max, Eastern Shore Ace Hardware, located on Spanish Fort Hill, Highway 31 in Spanish Fort, Alabama, one of the friendliest places you'll ever go into wants to give away a $20 gift certificate to the third caller at 694-1055. That's 694-1055. All right, we have Captain Bobby Abrascado with us with our inshore fishing forecast. How you doing, Bobby? Enjoying this this blue norther we had a couple nights ago. <laughs> Man, it's got the it's got that got the temperature down to only about 92 or 93. Wow, we need to break <laughs> out the coats, don't we? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I had earmuffs on and all sorts of stuff. Didn't know how to act. Uh, the other thing that came with it, too, is we finally got a little bit of wind uh, direction change. It went from that yeah. wicked hot west-southwest wind that we've been having for like two months straight now to second day in a row of uh, winds having some east in it, even some northeast uh, this morning and yesterday morning. And, man, I'll tell you, that's been a treat. I I, uh, I never realized how much I appreciated that little bit cooler wind and everything. So I don't know how long it's going to last, but I sure have enjoyed the last two days, that's for sure. Well, it never lasts long in Alabama, you know. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. And I'll tell you, it looks like uh, at least through maybe the, you know, by Sunday, it looks like we're going to get back to a little bit more of the east of the last forecast I saw. But, you know, in, anyway, in the meantime, man, the fishing continues to be good. They really reacted well. I got to fish some places that I haven't been able to fish for almost two months because we've had that wind direction. It just screws a lot of that up. And, um, man, we got to go out there and fish some of that stuff yesterday and, this, and today. We just finished up a few minutes ago. And, um, man, it was amazing. Those fish just hadn't been touched in, in, you know, like I said, at least two months. I mean, since June, it's been blowing that way. And those areas just get so muddy and stirred up, you can't fish them. And, and boy, just all it took was that wind change. And, uh, you know, I think another thing that happens sometimes, you know, when we get wind blowing into a certain area for several days or a month or two months in this case you know it, it, it blows a lot of bait and, and fish following it just because we can't catch them doesn't mean that they're there they're not there and so when we get the situation turns around where the water clears up just a little bit the fishermen stacked in there like that not being fished and man they really react well and i mean we've had um just some bang-up trips the last two days, numbers-wise. Not a lot of giant fish, but, boy, I'll tell you, the numbers have just been fantastic between the speckled trout, uh, some redfish, some, uh, lots of white trout mixed in, and still fishing a lot of artificial bait in the form of topwaters and uh, voodoo shrimp and these pneumatic shrimp that we just got from Savage Gear. And, um, uh, man, just getting it done on those, hadn't had to put any live bait on the boat. Uh, which is kind of odd for this time of year, but just because of the wind direction and the wind velocities we've had, having to stay on the inside just kind of forces you to to do some of that shallow drifting with the artificial bait, and just kind of makes you do it. And that's been that's been you know that's been the one plus I guess of not being able to get too much on the outside is is not having to deal with the live bait. Mm-hmm. So the live bait's very plentiful though if you need it. Uh, you know the bait shops are doing a great job of keeping the bait wells the bait tanks stocked with bait. I, talked to a couple of the guys yesterday that used bait and they said they had no problem at all getting it so if you want to use bait uh which i think this weekend you know we're going to cycle into this dead flat nip by uh, sunday and um you know sometimes when you get those conditions you you know the best places to be or or where the where the bay and the sound funnel down like places around the dolphin island bridge shoals area the 
you know, Fort Morgan, Dolphin Island, the past, the mouth of Mobile Bay, you know, the West Ends, the points of the islands like Sand Island and, and Dolphin Island, because that exaggerates that water movement. And, you know, in those cases there, that's where you'll really probably that live bait will really shine when you get to do that. So I think that if you're going to go out this weekend and plan it on doing it, those are probably the places that you're going to have your best chances of catching yeah. the tide that we got. Okay, well, that all, all sounds pretty good. I like it when there's a variety of fish coming in the boat. I think that's pretty interesting and keeps the crew entertained. <laughs> it, it does. It does. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of catching a bunch of them, but we've got this uh, influx right now of some of the biggest ladyfish I've ever seen. And I don't go target them. Uh-huh. I don't want to catch 30 of them a day. But, man, mixed in with some of the trout, these ladyfish are like, <laughs> There's some of the bigger ones I've caught in probably my life. And, you know, you'll catch, you know, five or six a day, but it's like catching a little miniature tarpon, man. They jump and they put <laughs> yeah. these little trout rods we're using. They're, they're a lot of fun. So, you know, that's just another addition to the species that we're, we're catching, you know, mixed in there on some of these grass flats and oyster ba- beds that we're fishing. Yeah, hey, I want to ask you a quick question. I, I meant to ask you this last week, and we kind of <laughs> ran out of time. And But um, and you were speaking about Dolphin Island and the different places around there. And that's a lot of my experience with specs. But the white trout, do they tend to use a, a little different bottom composition than the specs? Because I would catch them in certain areas. And I mean, I'd like run out of the specs and run into white trout. Yeah, I I think, you know, I find that they tend, to, as far as like the shallow water stuff, they still tend to hold over the shell and the grass where you catch specks. But, Doug, I'll tell you something that, you know, and I may have already mentioned this on a previous report, but and I've told my class, the last few years I have caught more white trout on the inside shallows than I've ever caught in my life. Hmm. Usually what I'm fishing, this is going to get to your question, is usually when I'm thinking about white trout, I'm thinking more of fishing, you know, deeper structure, wrecks and rigs and things like that. But, man, we've had just like this swarms of these nice white trout in here. for This is about three years in a row now. So, you know, to, to answer your question directly, right now I'm catching mixed in with the specs. You'll catch Good. two white trout specs, three white trout, two specs, four specs, three white You know, they're all mixed together over the same stuff right now so generally i would have said no you typically i like to get out on some offshore structure you know in the bay of the sound but shoot right now i'm catching them you know right in there where i'm catching the specs well bobby that sound, all sounds good thank you so much for the report we're just about out of time here but uh you have a great weekend man all right guys thanks for having me on you have a good weekend yes sir thank you joe dunn is with us from miller's ferry how you doing joe Doing great, Alan. Well, how's the water up there? How's the how's the crappie fishing? Uh, crappie's been real good, uh, even though I mean, uh, hundred degree weather, but they still biting. Yeah. We catching some in uh, brush piles, anywhere from you know around eight to ten foot up to some of those shallow ones in those flats with water coming across it, or up in some of the major creeks, and. Uh, the bite's been really good and catching good fish on them right now. Well, good deal. Uh, I guess the uh, water, how, what, how, when are they usually pulling water uh, this time of the month? Are they pulling it every night or every day or what? They change it up. It's been, really been kind of strange, you know, lately because uh, they've been pulling a lot. And, uh, and I, typically they don't slowed it down to only just a, three or four hours a day. Uh, sometimes it's at night, not pulling all during the day. But uh, they've been pulling all day long this past weekend. Uh, 
and that makes makes for a little bit better fishing, you know, that makes everything get tight to that structure and uh, makes where you can you can get them all bunched up. But uh, you know, usually it's not that way, and that they're more you know the bite is a lot slower. But uh, with that extra current we're having, is keeping everything going pretty good. And I don't know why. I can't I could, can't tell you why. <laughs> but they, then, then maybe next week, then they won't pull it out. But two hours, and it'll be late at night. So it's just no rhyme or reason to it at all. What's the best technique y'all are using to catch bass up there this week? On the bass, uh, like I said, with that current and all, uh, it's been more in the river, more on you know on the ledges and stuff. You know, okay. typically this time of year, and. Uh, I mean, ledges, when I pull them water, are either up under those big grass mats and green trees in the river or up in some of the major creeks that has current. Current is a big factor because, you know, with the water temperature and the way the oxygen, you know, works in this heat weather, it'll, it'll, it'll thermocline, you know. And in that river and in a, uh, uh, some of the creek situations, you got current. It keeps it stirred up a little bit more and a little bit better oxygen. So that, that's the main thing's been on that river, though, though right now. Okay. Hey, Joe, let me ask you a bass question there while we own bass. And there's a lot of spotted bass also there in uh, Miller's Ferry. If a man was wanting to target them versus a largemouth, is it, do you try something a little different, or, or do you just try the same tactics for both of them? Well, no, if you don't target more of the spots, it's it's, a, it's definitely, uh, you know, you, you get less uh, going in the creeks and the flats and staying strictly on the river, mm. and you typically would need that current. It helps a lot with that, and you're going to have to, uh, you'll find them down deep from some of those tops, and you're going to use, a, say, a shaky head or something like that would, would message with them better right now. All right, Joe. Hope you have a great weekend, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with our friend Austin Delano right after these messages. WNSP Outdoors, live on 105.5 FM and on the sound of Mobile App. Now, let's head back outdoors with Alan White. Welcome back to the show. Let's give away a five-pound pork sausage variety pack from our friends at Hall Sausage and Wholesale Meats, located in Chickasaw, Alabama. 694-1055 is the number you call. If you're the third caller, you're going to get a five-pound pork sausage variety pack. And believe me, that's some good sausage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Austin Delano is with us. He's a wildlife manager and uh, works with Biologic and others. And uh, always glad to have you, Austin. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Appreciate you having me on today. Yes, sir. Well, this is a exciting time of year for us 
wildlife people are, that you know are trying to plant plan and plant food plots it's really hot right now but there's no reason we can't plan uh, some strategy right now and uh one of the things that i think uh, people should do is uh try to get rid of the weeds first of all yeah that's always a major a major uh, task when you talk about planting food plots in the south is uh you know well what's currently growing there that we've got to make a plan for you know is it four foot tall johnson grass is it a bunch of sweet gum saplings or you know is it a plot that's been managed for a while that it's not going to take too much to get it mm-hmm. worked up and ready to plant so the the current vegetation is always a, a big part of also seedbed prep when it comes to getting things prepped the right way for a solid seedbed and making sure we're not trying to you know incorporate uh five months worth of, of green vegetation into the ground with a disc because yeah. that's always spells for a, a long day for <laughs> the guy on the tractor and the tractor itself yeah that's uh, sort of mm, that's that's a hard thing to convince people not to do is go in you know a week before hunting season and mow everything down and then try <laughs> to disc it all i mean you're going to be there all day in one plot disking round and round and round if you've got johnson grass that you just mowed it's going to be almost impossible to get a good seed bed but you know uh, a lot of people are going to no-till methods and uh I, i'm trying to kind of go that way too but i use a uh, glycosophate to burn down the the old plot or the weeds or whatever that's there and give it about two or three weeks, and then you can plant right into that dead standing vegetation. There's definitely some great no-till techniques out there, and, you know, they've got a ton of benefits, and it really boils down to the guy that's planting, or girls, because they're out there too, don't get me wrong on that, mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to make a plan for the equipment that you have and, you know, the what you have at hand to have the best plot performance possible. And if you can find a couple of no-till techniques that's going to work for you, they can be really effective. But just as you were do, just as if you were doing a traditional seed bed prep of, you know, burning down with a non-selective herbicide ahead of time and then going in there and working it with a disc or a tiller, our, our number one goal, no matter what we're planning or what method we're using, is we've got to find a way to make seed and soil contact. That's right. You know, those those seeds cannot germinate if they're laying on top of five pounds of dead grass between them and the soil. You know, you're going to be pretty uh, disappointed with the plot results, no matter whose seed you use and whose fertilizer you use. We've got to have, you know, consistent seed to soil contact, whether it's down under the thatch or if it's broadcast into traditionally prepped seed bread and, and lightly covered. Our goal is always maximum seed to soil contact. So whatever you need to do to get to that point is, you know, all determined by the equipment and the time that you have for the plots that you're going to be working. That's so important to know. You've got to work with the equipment that you have or what you can afford. Uh, I invested in a $500 used cultipacker, and I think that's one of the best investments in my situation because I can use glycosophate on the weeds or the old plot, let it die, spread my seed into the standing crop, and then cultipack over that crop, over that standing dead vegetation, and, and mash it down over the seeds. And hopefully, and I'm still in the testing phases, 
but hopefully that's going to work for my situation. Yeah, it certainly can. A culture packer is an uh, absolute must in a in a folk like guy's arsenal of uh, equipment, whether it's a small one you pull behind an ATV. That's what I use 90% of the time because it's super transportable. And Or if you've got a big one that goes behind a tractor, mm-hmm. using them before and after spreading seed, if it's worked up ground, can make a huge difference. And then, as you said, just using it on areas where you're not actually working the ground, but you want to encourage even better seed-to-soil contact, right. cultipackers are, are a huge deal. And, you know, another really big benefit that a lot of people don't look at on some type of a no-till planting situation is when you live in our part of the world, September, October, you know, our food plot planting months can also be two of our driest months of the year, and most likely will be. Yes. And so conserving soil moisture is a huge thing. And if you can avoid flipping that dirt over with a disc or a tiller, um, you know, you're going to gain a lot in early season growth because if you can ever get one good rain to get that seed started, and it can start pushing down roots through some soil that has not been worked up and has some good moisture available. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot better start to those plots versus your seed laying on top of, you know, three or four inches of worked up dirt that may have moisture at the day of planting. But if you don't get some follow-up moisture, you know, those seeds are going to struggle every day that goes by when it's 95 degrees and we're not getting any rain and you got pests out there picking on it and birds eating on it. And that's when you see your plot performance can go down in the traditional method of planting because they're just not protected. And until they get up and get growing, they're just very vulnerable. And one of the downfalls that I have is being so impatient. I did not, I made the mistake of not waiting until I had a real cl- good chance of rain. I went ahead and planted on a like 25% chance of rain, <laughs> and then it decided to be a drought for three weeks. So, you know, those, those kind of things are important too in, in the no-till process. But you said that standing dead vegetation that you cultipack down does two things. It keeps the soil cool, and it also keeps the moisture in the soil so your seeds can have a better chance. But uh, let's change subject to uh, some of the fall stuff we're doing. Clover is really interesting to me, especially perennial clover, uh, like ladino or something, because it comes back every year, and, and the deer and turkey love it. When is the best time down here in South Alabama and then Monroe County and our Black Belt to plant clover? You know, for y'all, I have seen the best results really all the way across the deep south in doing, you know, a fairly late fall planting. And I say late fall as in when you when you have your best moisture. So even if that ends up being two and three and four weeks past when you maybe have planted your blends in your other fields, yep. I really want to wait until I've got some really sure, not only soil moisture present, but more on the way. You know, that way I know that clover is going to get off to a, a decent start because we all know it is pricey seed, but you've got to get your best bang for your buck out of it by planting it at the ideal time of year. So mm-hmm. I would probably think for y'all the late September and even early October time period is going to be a lot better than early September because unless we just get great consistent rain, an early September plot that far in the south can, can burn up on us pretty quick. So clover's the same way and since it's a slower starter being a perennial variety 
it really needs, you know, some really consistent moisture for that first two months that it after it germs so that it can do what it is made to do and be a true perennial. Well, because there's, you know, it produces so much food for so many different types of critters that once you get them established, you know, you kind of want at, at least half of your plots to be in a solid perennial clover of some sort. Yeah, I agree. And because of the unpredictable rain down here in South Alabama, would it be okay to wait till November that late to plant? You certainly could on a lot of years. I imagine y'all's climate is so forgiving uh, in the late fall for being able to plant a lot later in the year than we can, even up here, you know, six hours north of you on the top end of the state. You know, November's getting where we can't really get anything to germ up here because of soil temperature, but maybe some cereal grain. Mm -hmm. And I don't really count on my clovers doing that well that late in the year, but for y'all, that could probably work really well and i would also tell folks if you want to start a perennial clover field i would use a cereal grain with it yeah it's they're inexpensive and they do a great job of giving those deer something to browse on while that clover gets established i, I agree with that that's uh there's several different cereal grains that you can plant as a as a crop that goes really well with clover all right well dawson i appreciate all the information it's always great to talk management with you and uh hope you have a great weekend y'all too thanks guys yes sir thank you all right we're going to be back with a special guest right after these messages This is WNSP Outdoors, live on 105.5 FM and on the Sound of Mobile app. Now, let's head back outdoors with Alan White. All right, welcome back to the show. We sure appreciate you listening today. We're going to give away uh, some other stuff later on, but uh, right now we have mr peyton spires with us peyton is the proprietor of 157 outfitters a brand new sponsor here on the show and we sure appreciate that but uh peyton welcome to the show thanks alan i appreciate you having me on well yes sir well i want to i want to find out more about your operation 157 outfitters it's located in wyoming and you're specializing in goose hunting and duck hunting so What's the background there? What, tell us a little history of 157 Outfitters. So, Alan, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. Um, by, my dad is an ENT at the Premier Medical Group, Dr. Spires. Right. And uh, I went to school at St. Paul's, and then I actually went to the Air Force Academy as a basketball player. And while I was in Colorado, I discovered Wyoming and discovered this incredible hunting opportunity and started building a team out there and learning how to hunt birds. And it's just morphed into this outfitting operation I have today. Um, and it's, it's considered the goose capital of the world out in Torrington, Wyoming. And it's just a really special place. And what's the name of the town again? Uh, Torrington, Wyoming Torrington, is okay. is the major town um, in Wyoming where it's located. It's about 7,000 people, and then there's little towns around it. Oh, so you have a big lodge and a real comfortable place with all the meals provided, but uh, where's it, uh, 
what's a normal hunting day like out there? So the normal day is we have clients come in. Um, we have two full-time lodges right on the river on a 30-acre property. We'll wake up. You'll meet our guide right outside the lodges. They'll take you out, and then we put out decoys. So we will put out between 50 and 80 dozen decoys out in cut cornfields. Um, after the decoys get set out, we go underground in these buried boxes. They're called pits. They're 16 feet long, and they have heaters in them. And so we sit in there, and then you wait for the birds to get off the roost, and the guys do the calling, and um, we just go from there. And that's usually usually get to see a lot of birds working, and they and they come in really well. They, wow. Th they do the calling, and you do the shooting, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. Yep. We've got... We've got some of the best guides out in the West. My head guide actually has won some national goose calling competitions, and he can blow a goose call like nobody else. <laughs> With all those decoys to put out, is all that done by the guides before daylight? So we, just because it's so many, we have the guide. The guide will tell clients, like, the gist of what to do. The guide puts out a majority of the decoys, mm -hmm. and the clients don't have to put out decoys if they don't want, but it definitely speeds up the process, and usually people want to be involved. Um, and then the guide will go around and put them in the certain array that we know works and what will get the birds in the best. So usually it's big, super large spreads, and then there's a little hole right around the pit, and the geese really target in to those holes where there's not so many decoys and they want to land with the calling. So usually the birds are sitting, you know, most of your shots are 10 to 20 yards right on your face right when they come into land. Mm, what kind of goose are, are out there? So we, we primarily shoot greater Canadian geese and lesser Canada geese. Okay. Um, we also get some speckled belly geese and some snows. Um, the really cool thing about the greater Canadians is they decoy and come to calling very well. So it's really, we don't do pass shooting and we don't hunt feeds or jump shoot. These birds are coming and they come to calls, they decoy, and it's not uncommon to get spins of 50 to 100 birds that are all circling you until the guy gives you the take them call. And then everyone stands up out of the ground and, and takes their shots. How, how do you think uh, goose hunting out west is different than down here in the south? Well, I have experience in the south, and lots of times it's just kind of a random one or two geese that will come into a duck spread or maybe people shooting them off ponds. Mm -hmm. And in Arkansas, lots of times they target seeds that have a lot of birds in it the day before, and so they'll go lay out there in the mud and in the cold. Here we have the pits that are sunk in the ground months ahead of time, and so we sit under there and we actually call in the geese and they decoy really well. So it's really much more similar to like duck hunting is and an Arkansas setting, except you're going to see a lot more birds and have a lot more shot opportunities. And the birds really work very well. Also, just the comfortability of it. There's not a lot of places in the United States where you can sit in heated underground blinds, be able to watch all the action, and have just that many shot opportunities in one day. Hi. You mentioned the ducks. I, I've been a waterfowl hunter my whole life, and so I can relate to everything you're saying. And uh, the ducks, are you actually hunting the ducks out of the same blinds, too? Because I've seen ducks come to dry cornfields. You know, they didn't necessarily have so, to have water. No, sir. So that's another thing here. So we hunt, whenever we do duck hunting, 
the ducks are we are primarily goose outfit first however we hunt ducks any opportunity we get um i've grabbed a lot of new properties that have water adjacent to cornfields and so lots of times in the afternoon in these places you'll have ducks come out and these aren't usually the pairs of one and two ducks that you'll see we're usually getting five and ten thousand ducks over the afternoon and they'll make these huge duck spins and so you might be looking at two and three thousand birds spinning over your decoys at once and they don't always cooperate and do it but if you're in the right field then we can limit on ducks sometimes in 10 minutes um it'll be it'll can be some really hot and heavy action if we do see ducks flying and the weather's cooperating then we'll throw out spinner decoys and full body mallard decoys inside our goose spreads and those ducks are really keying in on the goose spread but as soon as they see those spinning wing spinning wing decoys they just come right on in mm-hmm. are these mostly mallards that you're hunting or are they just a wide variety of ducks so in early season we can kind of get anything especially when we're hunting on the river um, so we'll see teal, widgeon, pintails, mallards. Um, we have a lot of western diving duck species that will come in that are eating fish in the river. But once it gets later in the season with the big duck spins, it's mostly mallards with a decent amount of widgeon mixed in. Mm-hmm. Wyoming is an absolute beautiful place to visit. Hey, you know, and I know the, the scenery is beautiful, but what's the lodging like? Can you explain that? So this year, current this year we have two new lodges that are coming under. Um, both of our lodges are located actually on the North Platte River. They're only 10 minutes outside of town, so you have tons of access to grocery stores, restaurants, anything you can want. But you're also secluded, so you don't have to be in a neighborhood. And then the lodges, we run both the lodges at the same time. So if we do need two groups of people, but one lodge will run a group of four at a time, and one lodge can run a group of five at a time. Um, they've got separate beds for everyone, full kitchens. I mean, everything you could really want. They're kind of they're rustic Western-style lodges that are gorgeous, and no one has any better lodging than us anywhere in the West. Do you provide the meals, or do you have a cook, or do they cook them? The guests have, you know, need to prepare their own meals. So in the past, we have provided some meals. What it got down to is that clients lots of times coming from the south mostly mm-hmm. have enjoyed kind of exploring the city and eating at the local like western saloon restaurants okay um we have full kitchens available and there's grocery stores and everything and so people usually come in and just um either cook or go out to eat around the hunt schedule yeah. just because our hunt schedule could go to one o'clock it go to five o'clock mm-hmm. if we're going to hunt later afternoon later in the afternoon mm-hmm. we break for lunch um, and people go, you know, get food, but meals are on clients. That's really the only thing okay. that we don't include um, just because uh, we learned that having set meal times really would hinder our hunting ability. What about guns and ammo? Do we need to bring our own guns and ammo? No, sir. So that's one thing we do that really no one else does. Um, you don't need to bring anything but the clothes you want to wear. Whenever you show up, we have guns provided for all the clients, including the price, as well as as much ammunition uh, as you shoot. We've learned kind of like what loads we like to shoot mm-hmm. and what goes well with our guns and our chokes. Okay. So everyone, everything is provided for the people when they show up. And 
if they would like to bring their own gun and ammo, that is totally fine, but they don't need to, and especially with flying, it makes it a lot easier not having to check any yeah, firearms. It sure does. And speaking of flying, what's the best way to get there? What's the best way to travel from Mobile, let's so, say? So there's two airports that are relatively close to our lodges. So Scotts Bluff is a smallish town in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. It's only 40 minutes away. They have connecting flights through Denver. Most people fly into Denver and drive. That's about a three-hour drive, but it's interstate the whole way. And the best way to get to Denver, what I recommend as far as to make it reasonable, is there's direct flights from Pens Pensacola, Florida, to Denver every okay. single day yeah. for round trip less than $200. So it really makes it where getting out there is super easy, and it's just one flight and then a little bit of a drive. That's exactly how I went when I went to New Mexico on an antelope hunt. That's the route we took. So, uh, yeah, that's good. Uh, what happens to the birds after you harvest them? Uh, what, what do you all do with the birds? So we also have partnered up to make it easier with clients. We have a federally licensed bird processor. So after we have the birds that are harvested for the day, um, we have pre-written out tags that will go on your group of birds. We take them straight to a bird processor. She cleans the birds, vacuum seals them, and then freezes them. Um, and so we get around the regulation of having to keep a wing on or keep the bird intact. How do you book um, a so trip? How would so, you book a trip real quickly? How, how would you book a trip? Uh, uh, go 157outfitters.com. Okay. Got a good website there. Thank you so much for being here, and I look forward to uh, learning more next month from you, okay? All right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, thank, sir. Thank you, Pike. All right. That's going yes, to do it for us this week. We appreciate you listening today. God bless, and have a great day.